Sometimes when you're sitting in the audience and you're listening to the songs and you're listening to the prayers, it touches you how deep the message of those prayers and those songs are. Higher ground, sweet by and by, the thoughts of eternity, those certainly are ones that are beautiful, capture our attention and our devotion. Christ is formed in you. You know, the truth is, things don't always turn out the way we wish. Perhaps you're a young person and you have thought in your mind, I am good at playing baseball. And one of these days, there's going to be somebody who's going to come and call me and say, I want you to play on my professional baseball team. And then reality sets in and you realize that's not the way it always works. Maybe you're a person who just loves to strum on a guitar and you, you think, if I only just had an opportunity, I believe I could make it as one of the music stars. And again, reality begins to set in with all of us. And the harsh realities are is that very few make it to be a professional athlete. Very few make it to be an artist that either sings or paints or sculpts. And the truth is, preachers can be idealistic too. I don't know how many of you have perhaps thought in your mind, what does a guy who comes out of school think? And what are his ambitions and are his goals? I think most of us who come out, we're like, we're going to conquer the world. Every person that we sit down and we open the Bible with is going to say, boy, that's right. I'm going to become a Christian today. And then what you find is, is that when you start studying the Bible with people, sometimes people say, I don't know about that. Or I'll, I'll call you preacher, you just leave me alone for right now. And what happens is, is that you're looking for people to grow, you're looking for people to obey, and not always does it work out. The book of Galatians reflects a legitimate concern for struggling churches, the churches of Galatia. These are people who are not where they ought to be, and yet Paul has such a desire for them, and you can see almost, if you read the book of Galatians three or four times, you see the passion that Paul has for these people, and yet you recognize not everything is the way it ought to be. Could it be that we each need to take a careful look at our own current condition? Am I, for instance, becoming all that I can be? Am I, as the song that we sang, talking about going to higher ground? Or are we content to settle for who we are? I want us to look at three things. They're really a reflection of my study of the book of Galatians with chapter 4, verse 19 as the focus. I want to look at Paul's concern. You know, he was really concerned about them. Number two, I want us to look specifically at chapter 4, verse 19, at some comparisons that he makes. And then finally, to talk about this conforming to the image of Christ. So let's spend a few minutes to begin and think about what was going on. If you go back to chapter 1, and you'll look with me at verses 6 and 7, you realize that Paul is worried about those leaving the truth. He says, 
I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is away from the brethren. He's hearing, and what is he hearing? The brethren are turning away, but it's not a wholesale turning away. What's happening is there's somebody there who's just tweaking it a little bit and making it say things it was never intended to say. And what happens is how far do you have to go before you're no longer doing what God wants you to do? They are being tricked, if you will, by some smooth talkers. There's some people who've come in among these churches and they're saying things that are appealing to the vanity of the hearers. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Somebody's bewitched you. Somebody's tricked you, deceived you. Chapter 5, verse 7, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Somebody is there among those churches and what they're doing is they're just simply taking the church and nudging them, if you will, in the wrong direction. You get to chapter 4 and you look at verses 17 and 18 and he explains that these people are not motivated by good motives. It's not that these people are just somehow mistaken. He said they zealously court you but for no good, yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous and a good thing's always and not only when I'm present with you. Paul says, brethren, what they're doing is they're trying to take advantage of you. They're trying to get you over in their camp so that you'll be for them. And it's not about being for the Lord. There was a legitimate concern here that Paul had and he was doubtful if they were going to survive spiritually. In chapter 4, verse 20, the verse that follows our text, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Now the truth is, practically every preacher I've ever known worries about some people in the congregation. They're getting very close to the edge who is it that's saying something to them? Who is it that's trying to allure them away? What is it they're hearing and where does it come from? We don't always know. But Paul is concerned about the Galatians. He's concerned about the will they survive spiritually. He said, I've got doubts about you. Well, Paul is going to try to use some comparisons now that will help them understand his concern and help them understand where they need to be going. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 19, and see four comparisons again. My little children, for whom I labor in birth, again until Christ is formed in you. First thing, he calls them his little children. And when you think about a little child as compared to just being a child, the diminutive, the small indicates they're young, they're immature, they're vulnerable. 
You know, a lot of these little children, you can go in there and you can say, there's a monster in that closet. You know what will happen to a lot of those kids? They'll back up. They'll, they'll believe you. They're vulnerable. When Paul is writing to these Galatians, they are, in real sense, spiritual children. And they're vulnerable because someone there can come and plant a seed. They don't know any better. They're little children. But there's another, even perhaps deeper meaning here. And that is Paul has been talking about children all through this context. If you will, let's go back to chapter 3. Let's look at verses 26 through 29 and then just see how he unfolds this in chapter 4. Chapter 3, verse 26. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice a son, a child. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ. And if you're Christ, then you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's something about children and being heirs that draws attention to the fact, to whom do you belong? Whose child are you? Are you a son of God or are you a son of the devil? Are you God's child or are you the devil's child? You go to chapter 4, beginning with verse 21. And he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he was the free one through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the Jerusalem, which now is, who is in bondage with her children. But verse 28, but now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Notice chapter 3, verse 29, he talks about the children of promise. Now he talks about these two children. He's talking about being a child of promise. Chapter 4, verse 31, so then, brethren, we're not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So as he addresses this, my little children, the idea of the vulnerability, but remember whose child you are, that you're God's child. There's a second thought in this comparison, and that is of birth. And when you think about birth, I think about a mother going through labor pains. For those of us who are men, we don't understand the depth of that pain, but we're able to perceive it. We're able to, to see our wives or our family suffering through that pain of trying to give birth. If you go to the book of Isaiah 26, verse 17, and a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pains when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. See, there's a usage of that to help us understand, just like a mother giving birth, the, the stress, the pain that's involved. That's what he uses here. John 16, 21 and a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. 
But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy of a human being being born into the world, she's thrilled that a child has just been given birth. And so that pangs of birth turns into joy. That also reflects the idea of our becoming a Christian, being born into God's family. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, God's word is the seed that is sown in the heart that produces a Christian. In chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babes, Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Becoming a child by birth into God's family. But perhaps the best passage that I could think of is John 3, 3 through 5, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus and he tells him you must be born again, not of the water, or not of the physical birth, but of the water and of the spirit, which a person does when they are baptized and become a Christian. You see, sometimes it's a struggle to bring about the birth of a spiritual child of God. Here you are, you're trying to teach someone the gospel. You're trying to provide for them that encouragement, that incentive, if you will, to become a child, and it seems like everything is such a struggle. In Acts 17, 4 and 5, Paul's at Athens, and some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were becoming, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, some of them gathered evil men from the marketplace, and gathering the mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. You're out trying to preach and teach the gospel, and what happens? There are people who are creating all kinds of conflict. It is tough sometimes to persuade a person to become a Christian. You may be sitting at a kitchen table studying the Bible with someone and you're coming to passages like Acts 2 and verse 38 and you say, repent and let every one of you be baptized. And you look up and then a husband or a wife or a, uh, someone else who's there says, oh, I don't believe that. You accept that, I'm not going to accept you anymore. In Acts 2 and verse 40, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. It's a tough world we live in. So you've got the idea here, not only of a woman bringing forth birth pains, but the actual birth itself. Then something that I perhaps had almost missed in studying this passage again was the hint of a miscarriage. That is, labor in birth again. You see, I want you to consider the anxiety that exists in the parents who've lost a child. I know there's some of you ladies in the audience who have lost children. Uh, I've had it in my family those who have lost children at birth, lost them just before they were born. And uh, there's always this apprehension. As you're going through this, am I going to lose this child also? You know, if you go back to Genesis chapter 25, you have Rebecca 
Jacob and Esau are in her wombs and you read there the children struggle together within her and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. I, I'm in pain. These children are struggling. And the idea that is this going to become a miscarriage? Well, Paul had that same kind of anxiety with regards to the Galatians. He said in chapter 4, verse 11, I am afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. We worked and we did all this. We tried to persuade people of the gospel. And are people really going to accept it? And you worry, is there going to be like a miscarriage? You work all this time to try to teach the gospel. And then somebody right at the end, spiritually dead. But then the fourth comparison that he used is that of a child being formed in the womb. And if you think about that, I think about such passages as Psalm 139, verse 13. David said, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Formed my inward parts. Um, I've seen some photos recently of a, of a child in the mother's womb. A lot of it's an anti-abortion stuff, but... You see the, the child taking his thumb, sucking his thumb in the womb. And you realize that you can sometimes even see the digits on the fingers of the child in the mother's womb. and You realize this child is being formed, taking shape, if you will, inside the womb. But you have to step back and say, now God not only forms the physical form, but God has plans in mind. As that child is in the womb, it's not just a fetus. It's not just a blob. It's a child with a potential future. Listen to Jeremiah 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you, I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God said, Jeremiah, I have a, a plan for you. The one that really captures my attention is the prophetic passage from Isaiah 49, verse 5. You know, Isaiah, as he gets to chapters 49 and following, he, he's looking forward to the coming of the suffering servant, which is Christ. And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. I think about the forming of the Savior in the womb of Mary. Not only was there the forming of that physical body, but the forming of the plan. Well, when you start thinking about what is said there in chapter 4, verse 19, those four comparisons that Paul will use. Now I want to move to the third part. And that is until Christ is formed in you. That carries even a, another idea with it. Christ formed in you. And when you think about that, God expects us not to conform to this world, take its shape, but to take the shape of his son. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And listen carefully. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to learn not to let the world shape you, but you've got to learn to be shaped and formed like Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, He who abides in him, in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If I'm going to be in Christ, I've got to follow the steps that Jesus left for me. Chapter 2, verse 21 and 22 of 1 Peter. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Where the Lord went, that's where we go. What the Lord did, that's what we do. We start conforming ourselves to be like him. On Wednesday evening, we're studying from the book of Philippians. This past Wednesday evening, we studied chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where Paul said very simply, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You think like he thought. How did he think? He was sacrificial. He gave himself. You get to Romans 8 and verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What God has done is God has predestined, he's planned ahead of time, that those people who will be saved will be people who conform their lives to be like his son. That means that if I want to go to heaven, I've got to look like Jesus. I've got to act like Jesus. Got to think like Jesus. Got to talk like Jesus. I've got to be conformed to his image. Several years ago, I was asked to preach a gospel meeting on the one verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. A whole meeting. And I will tell you, it was a little bit more of a challenge than I thought it would be. But I want you to listen to the way that Paul puts it to the, to the Corinthians. But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now here's the picture, if you will. You are looking at Jesus. And as you look at him more closely... How does he look? Now, I'm not talking about physically. How does he look spiritually? And you start looking at detail. And he says, it's just like we're looking in a mirror. And what are we seeing? Well, I'll tell you what we see sometimes. We see a person that's not what we ought to be. But he says, if you keep looking at Jesus and you keep beholding the image of the Lord in that mirror, you just keep changing pretty soon you start reflecting him in your life. How many times have you seen people, maybe a husband and wife, who say they start looking like each other now? That's because you associate the way they do things, the way they talk, the way they act, and they become one. 
And then the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 10. And put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. According to the image. Christ being formed in us. And now when we get to the end, Christians and churches often allow themselves to be formed by the world. They are able to uh, look at us and see us reflect in them. And there's a spiritual death there. And what Paul wants us to be is to be more like Christ. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee. But you see, you become a Christian by being born again into the family of God. I know tonight we have folks that you've got to be thinking about becoming a Christian. I wish I was able to impress upon you to the greatest degree that the best thing you can choose in life is not to be an artist, not to be an athlete, not to be the greatest in your profession, but to be a New Testament Christian. To be a child of God and all the privileges. Because when the day of judgment comes, the Lord's not going to look at us and say, boy, you were talented. He's going to say, were you mine? Did you reflect, my son? We're going to sing the song, let him have his way with thee. And that's what we're asking. If you're not a Christian, let him have his way with you. Believe on his son, repent of your sins, confess your faith in him, and be baptized. If you're a Christian, let him have his way with you. Let him shape you into who you ought to be. Put your comes together, we stand and sing.